When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hemp Resent. Our radio resident Hempo sapien Vivian McPeak will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Resent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome to Hemp Present, the weekly radio show where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. Join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest in its 25th year, found at hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest from AHA Publishing, also found at hempfest.org. At the time of this recording, the Senate Judiciary Committee has advanced the confirmation of Jeff Sessions to be the next U.S. Attorney General on a party-line vote of 11 to 9. Sessions has historically been in support of every aspect of cannabis prohibition, even supporting legislation that would have authorized defendants to receive, get this, the death penalty if they had multiple convictions for cannabis sales. Yet 60% of Americans support some form of legalization. But facts are only obstacles for an administration that has perpetually made shit up, advanced pure falsehoods, and manufactured alternative facts out of thin air. While Don Trump has given mixed messages about his positions on cannabis, he has cobbled together a cabinet almost exclusively consisting of extreme right-wing ideologues, plutocrats, and conservative drug war zealots. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, in the states that have legalized, depending on what that term means to you, state legislators have displayed a tendency to alter or undermine the will of the voters. While a budding pot industry has sprung up in the shadow of pot's federal Schedule I designation, the pot culture struggles to maintain its identity, risking being absorbed by normalization and commodification. In my state, the Liquor Control Board was given dominion over legal retail pot sales, and we have no legal home grow. The medical dispensaries were shuttered, and the retail shop licenses were awarded using the lottery system rather than a merit-based system. And our state legislature seems to be oblivious to all this, as well as the felony charges against underage folks who get caught with some pot and our unscientific 5-nanogram DUI provision. Thank God for the under-green railroad still serving the patients. To take a much deeper look 
at the social and cultural implications of our current pot paradigm, I've invited my Seattle-based friend and comrade, Dominic Corva, founder and co-executive director at the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy, or CASP, to talk with us. Dominic holds a PhD in political geography, among other credentials, and he's joined me today in the virtual Hemp Present studio. Welcome, Dominic, to Cannabis Radio. Hi, Viv. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Let's just start off with, with how were you initially introduced to cannabis, and can you briefly tell us something about your work? First introduced to cannabis in the mid-1990s as a 22-year-old adult, actually. I think I was, a, I was 21 or 22. Um, I was a consumer uh, for the next 10 years or so, strictly speaking. I didn't really have a, a politics or research agenda associated directly with cannabis, but I developed a research interest in uh, the political economy of drug policy, the relationship between punishment and the creation of markets. And in particular, I was focused on Bolivia and coca agriculture and the U.S. drug war as it connected with protests against uh, globalization and so forth in Bolivia in the 1990s and early 2000s. While I was there, I was at the University of Washington and uh, getting exposed to the research of my colleague, Dr. Sunil Agarwal, uh, who really helped me put together a class at the University of Washington uh, on cannabis, at which you spoke, actually. And that was really when I became seriously interested in uh, you know, the political economy of cannabis as well as punishment uh, in the U.S. So when I finished my work on Bolivia, I went straight to Humboldt County, California, and that was around 2010. And I haven't left off in researching it since. I just want to mention that Dr. Agarwal is actually scheduled for an interview uh, in the next couple of weeks. So, so Dominic, okay. how would you describe the cannabis culture from your learned perspective? Uh, well, uh, I think that my concept of culture is one that's really dynamic and changing and not sort of static, so it's hard to just say cannabis culture is, but if it's anything, I believe that cannabis culture is really about evolving an anti-authoritarian consciousness uh, when it comes down to it. And that comes from, uh, you know, it's modern genesis in uh, the struggles with the New Left uh, in the 1960s, uh, the anti-war movement, and the uh, the fact that domestic cannabis production really came from a lot of people who uh, were veterans of that movement and uh, left the city for the countryside and uh, stumbled upon growing, uh, growing cannabis as an actual cash crop, which it wasn't initially. So uh, cannabis culture is fundamentally uh, an anti-war culture. Uh, which is to say that it's not about the price of cannabis or how much profits you're making or, uh, you know, material considerations about cannabis as something that, uh, you know, we, we put to use, but rather a relationship with a plant that is authoritarian. So then what role do trade organizations play in your mind on the local and national levels in this kind of changing cannabis landscape? Well, they play an emergent role, uh, given that uh, it's really not until we have legal cannabis that we have trade organizations, per se, that are not just sort of broadly about letting people smoke weed. Uh, and in that sense, they're a lot like trade organizations for any other uh, um, sector of the economy. So uh, they lobby for certain kinds of regulation. Uh, they lobby for uh, you know, uh, banking deregulation. They lobby for... It just depends on... What they're doing at the federal level is they've got particular targets 
uh, in Congress or or uh, DEA or the FDA or uh, the executive branch that they seek to inform and change things at the national level. Locally, obviously, it happens usually in Olympia or at city councils or county councils. Uh, so trade organizations really are possible because there's now illicit economy. They can say our dollars come from here, <laughs> as opposed to what made it difficult before legal cannabis, which is to say you couldn't really have trade organizations because you would have to admit that you were making money off of cannabis. You've got to have legal organized. trade, right? Right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's, it's really emergent, and, and uh, of course, in each state, they kind of spring up somewhat independently, but, but get together. If you, if you notice, NCIA, the National Trade Association, is really dominated by Colorado and Washington uh, people. Um, it remains to be seen whether you know, anybody in California is going to find NCIA terribly helpful, given, given that uh, you know, they haven't really participated much in NCIA and, and, and themselves constitute a much larger cannabis economy than, than uh, you know, Colorado and Washington combined. So they play the role of civil society, right? Um, and so you have trade organizations and then also non-trade organizations. Uh, and those obviously include uh, cultural organizations like HempFest, uh, a very, very, very important one. We'll get probably a little bit more into that as we go along with the questions. Well, on that line, yeah, how about the role of non-industry civil society, you know, events like the one I, I work on, the Seattle HempFest? Yeah. How do they factor yeah. into everything that's going on? Well, that's grassroots activism right there. That's those Hempfest changes the culture from below, and people emphasize you know, often the grass and grassroots. I want to emphasize the roots and grassroots. The, the the roots part of it is that Hempfest on an annual basis, not just there at Hempfest, but the whole process of getting permitted and working with the city and changing politicians and educating them has really just raised the consciousness about cannabis as not, not a threat to society, but uh, as a, you know, uh, a matter of um, personal choice or spiritual practice or medical uh, treatments, uh, all these ways in which, you know, society has been exposed to cannabis not as a threat, not as something to be prohibited, but something that, that has positive value. That's at the root of, you know, the acceptance of the public in hearing any debate about making cannabis legal or not. Uh, and so the, the non-trade organizations are doing the long-term work of changing minds, hearts and minds from below. The trade organizations tend to be working on institutions that are themselves kind of hopelessly stuck in all sorts of other kinds of politics that really makes, uh, you know, what comes out of the sausage factory look uh, a little strange sometimes and disconnected from, from the grassroots. And of course, like, like all social reform movements, some people are working from the bottom up, some people are working from the top down, and, and victory happens when you meet somewhere in the middle effectively. Is that is that a, a right characterization? <laughs> I'm not sure the victory happens, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> at this point. Touché, uh, touché. I, I, think, I, uh, I think that the problem here is that the trade organizations are working in a, in a field that is absolutely you know, saturated with prohibition culture, even if uh, you know, we have uh, conceptual legalization there is still that general feeling and belief that, you know, cannabis is far more harmful, or, or, or you know, to society than potentially good. Uh, and so, you know, why does the legislature 
seem to really care that much to fix cannabis because it's pretty low on their list of priorities uh, in general, and they think that they've already done the job by legalizing cannabis, so why won't we leave them alone? Uh, you know, uh, and of course it gets caught up in, in actually how politics works in Olympia, which is through lobbyists and the people with the most money get to have the most uh, you know, face time with legislators that really control things and committees uh, and so forth. You, know, you talked about grassroots uh, activism. Uh, I've been saying for a while that Seattle Hemp Fist is uh, grassroots to our ass roots. <laughs> I am uh, I'm speaking with Dominic Corva from the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy, or CASP. Google it because we're going to take a quick pause for the cause because there's flaws in the laws like we do here on Hempresent. Hear a word from our sponsors and advertisers. Come right back with our second segment with Dominic Corva. Time to roll out for the people that let us hem present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Equio, New Frontier's cutting-edge big data platform, puts the information and answers you need right at your fingertips in real time to help you more effectively run your cannabis business. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. Again, that's www.equio.io. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we're back on Cannabis Radio with Dominic Corva. Dominic, tell us what does the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy do, and, uh, and how can folks find you on the Internet? Uh, they can go to our website, www.cannabisandsocialpolicy.org, and primarily we do popular education on uh, uh, through the research agendas of both myself as the social science research director and my co-executive director, Dr. Michelle Sexton, the medical science research director. Uh, Michelle is uh, currently operating out of San Diego and working with UCSD on uh, a number of... Um, she cares for people who are centered by UCSD, if that makes sense, basically. So the doctors at UCSD... They can authorize, but they don't feel comfortable actually being able to provide treatment or advice when they send people to the show. And Michelle's also working on uh, some interesting stuff with the Yellow Tribe, potentially. Uh, uh, they, uh, they've recently engaged her to help design uh, 
uh, an opioid substitution uh, clinical uh, program. And uh, so that's, that's something just barely getting off the ground right now. Um, nothing's been done so far, but the meetings have been had. Uh, uh, on my part, I continue to work, uh, you know, uh, in terms of medium-term, long-term, on the book about the transition uh, between medical and legal cannabis in Washington State. Uh, but our uh, concrete manifestation really is highlighted by our flagship annual event, the Original to Festival, which is a whole plant popular education event that really combines something that industry needs really bad with what essentially, uh, you know, uh, cannabis culture needs really bad, which is to educate the public about uh, the plant in a peaceful manner and its potential uses. And we're talking about the whole plant. So, we kind of uh, take a little page out of the Project CBD folks by uh, de-emphasizing THC. But instead of uh, CBD for this event, we really emphasize and celebrate terpenes as part of the entourage effect, the whole plant entourage effect. And, of course, our uh, keynote speaker is always Dr. Ethan Russo, the uh, um, originator of the entourage effect uh, hypothesis, who's over on Vashon Island. Uh, he's immensely generous with his time and uh, incredibly popular. I've never seen... Uh, you know, I think such a raging following for someone who's, uh, you know, such a, such a terrific scientist, really, uh, and, and not, you know, a, a reality TV star, star anyway, you know. Um, so we are gearing we up. Don't, we, don't, we, don't like, we don't like reality TV stars very much right now in this country. <laughs> no, no, get me out of this reality television show. Um, so the point is that we, we bring Dr. Ethan Russo and we have panels with, uh, you know, Kevin Jody from Humboldt, my friend, uh, and Dr. Sexton talking about terpenes and various applications. And what we give to industry, which is why they sponsor and enter the, 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 the contest, is a way to, you know, market their products in a way that's not just about THC levels, which is kind of all they can do. Uh, THC levels and pre-packaging is all, all they've got here in Washington State. So consumers are asking, well, what else should I be buying my cannabis about? And to be honest, you know, the 502 system, you know, industry really needs ways to differentiate their products. Uh, it's a very practical, pragmatic need. Um, you know, there's only so far that changing a packaging can take you in terms of, you know, market share. And increasingly, we're seeing folks trying things like listing terpene levels and, and so forth. So the event really gives, uh, I think, producers, processes, and retailers, uh, you know, a way to market their product based on better information about the plant. And it gives consumers new insight into what cannabis is and is all about, possibly reaching a whole new uh, demographic besides the folks under prohibition, pro prohibition consumers, which tended towards the THC until medical came along, and even then, still pretty dominant. Uh, so uh, that's our uh, that's our main annual thing, uh, besides our ongoing research projects um, uh, with uh, Michelle and myself. I might mention, because we're here to represent the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant comprehensively, I have already interviewed Dr. Michelle Sexton, uh, and people can uh, Google that or find it on this platform. How much of a role does the pharmaceutical industry or, or how does the pharmaceutical industry factor into this and, and government agencies like the FDA? Uh, what's your take on that? Uh, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, you know, GW Pharmaceuticals is, uh, you know, made a lot of inroads towards essentially educating the state on why their research um, is important, especially around uh, CBD and CBD content, uh, and increasing now terpenes. Dr. Ethan Russo used to be their main scientist. Um, however, 
the issue is, is the more the government begins to accept, you know, the CBD molecule, for example, is useful, or, or even the THC molecule is useful beyond marinol, uh, the more super companies look at this like an opportunity. Uh, and that opportunity would be maximized under a Schedule II uh, designation, uh, in which uh, essentially, you know, legitimate cannabis as medicine would flow through uh, the pharmaceutical business model primarily, uh, which be a real challenge to what's happened you know, up till now, which is that cannabis as medicine has been associated especially with complement and alternative medicine. Uh, and are, are, are you worried that the Trump administration might move to Schedule 2 and then market that as uh, being compassionate and legalizing medical marijuana? Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, he's nominated uh, two Silicon Valley guys uh, to you know, the, the head of uh, the FDA. It's probably not the only nominees, but that's what that would mean, really, is that uh, if the FDA changes its mind about how cannabis is medically useful, it isn't going to be a revolutionary thing. It's going to be a extremely reformist thing. It's the FDA, federal government, and now it's the Trump administration. And what I'm concerned about with that is the centralization of the cannabis economy, uh, uh, renewed attempts to punish people for uh, engaging in uh, you know, non-pharmaceutically sanctioned medical provision. Talk about... Geography and cannabis. What are the most interesting aspects of localized cannabis use production uh, industry uh, as opposed to, to national? What's your, your feelings and all of that? Oh, man. That's, we could do a whole whole uh, half hour or hour on that. Well, may, may, maybe that. we'll have to bring, maybe I mean, we'll have to bring yeah. you back and do a second show. No, for sure. Let's do that. But let's, let's just start really quick with let's, this, this idea that states are laboratories of democracy, which is the learning kind of uh, discourse that legitimates the uh, ongoing experimental legalization. So when we legalized cannabis in this state, there was already, you know, uh, these mini laboratories of democracy running around. They're called Seattle, King County, uh, Tacoma. Um, in many ways, before legalization, localities were free to experiment with uh, essentially, you know, liberalizing cannabis policy in a way that uh, they are now not able to because the state essentially jumps scale. Uh, the, the legal authority for moving forward with cannabis, uh, basically the state took it over, uh, whereas before King County and Seattle were really leading the way. Um, and so I think there's a very interesting you know, uh, political geography of an evidence uh, example that, that you look at there, which is a bit of a cautionary tale. It opens up the possibility for the rest of the state kind of changing in a more rapid fashion but it also disciplines, you know, Seattle and King County to effectively do things that they previously uh, had moved past, really, uh, and, uh, and, and had moved forward. And in many ways, legalization as it's happened in Washington State has meant that the state has basically told Seattle and King County to, you know, take a back seat. Uh, we're going to grab a seat now, and your authority is not what it once was. So it's an interesting way people often look at it as, oh, these, these laboratories and actually state legalization, that opens things up. Well, yeah, uh, on a federal scale, it certainly does relative to Alabama, for example. Um, but there is a, a, you know, a price to be paid in terms, in terms of progress. Um, you are essentially making space for new things to happen, new actors to come in and change things and take control. And that's, of course, the other part of geography that I want to talk about, which is that uh, within legal cannabis, you have the emergence of big money interests and small money interests. And big money interests were much more organized and knew how to play the lobbying game. 
and fairly quickly we're able to uh, really set back uh, Washington's, you know, uh, what looked like progress uh, in terms of its approach to cannabis. Dominic Corbett is my guest, and he is from the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy. We are going to take another quick break, hear a word from our sponsors and advertisers, and come right back for our final questions for Dominic Corva. Stay tuned, get baked, and we'll see you in a sec. Time to roll out for the people that let us hem present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back on Cannabis Radio with Dominic Corba. Dominic, you know, this legalization thing, it's, you know... <laughs> Uh, decades long, it seems like things are breaking loose in a way we never even dreamed of. But there's so much heavy lifting. There's so much work to do. What's the end game in this? You know, what's coming out of this ashes of prohibition? What's the end game, and how do we get to a competing mainstream industry while we struggle to bring cannabis to the greater public? Fantastic. Well, you know, I'm going to say the end game is local. Uh, it's important to uh, paraphrase John Sejo's, uh, a mutual friend John Sejo's statement, the end game is local, and then explain that, which I will do in a moment. But the other one is, is that the ashes of prohibition, I'm, uh, again, not convinced that prohibition has been burning down. It's been transforming. Uh, and it's, that's because prohibition comes from the broader culture. And it comes from tendencies, institutions, and approaches to public health that have been accepted and have, are acceptable you know, to uh, American citizens and have been for a long time. We have yet 
to encounter an instance in which our government is capable of admitting to the American people that they've made a single small mistake, much less one uh, uh, with the sort of scope and really mortality rate of prohibition uh, as, as it relates to cannabis in particular. So I'm not sure really that prohibition has ashes. I think that as the laws change, what we're seeing here is prohibition changing and, uh, and re- reconsolidating and regrouping. Uh, and and it's, it's as obvious as the lack of homegrown in Washington State that, uh, you know, it's, it's as obvious as the, the attempt to put new felonies into the law. Uh, in 5052 last year, that Governor Inslee actually section vetoed out of there because that's insane. We just legalized cannabis. Why would we change our legal cannabis laws to make more felonies? Why do we want to throw more people in jail? Uh, it's related to our, our, our problems with policing in society. Uh, it's, uh, it's related to the folks who make money off of control. Um, it's related to so many things that really don't have anything to do with cannabis. The cannabis prohibition itself is, you know, it's, it's kept alive, it's vivified. Uh, to use a weird word that happens to your name. Um, uh, by the sickness of the rest of our society and our other institutions. So the, the end game is local because really we need broader social change. Cannabis legalization is not enough. Uh, we need a society that accepts a difference, uh, that doesn't stigmatize it or uh, regard difference as a threat. Uh, and, and by difference, let me just cite a really obvious one, a different approach to treating one's health uh, that is less reliant on pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, the fact is, in the United States, People use cannabis. Uh, the results of Dr. Sexton's cannabis use survey seem to indicate that most people use cannabis to treat depression, uh, and they do so consciously, either with or against their pharmaceutical issues. In this country, we take a lot of pharmaceutical drugs to deal with depression. So uh, this society has to accept the possibility that maybe we were wrong, uh, that maybe it isn't such a great idea to uh, effectively turn our mental health industry over to uh, you know, Big Pharma, which is not really interested in health, but is interested in profit by definition because they're corporations. The corporations' main, main thing they have to obey is to protect their shareholder interests, not to promote public health. So the end game is local because we have to change society, and you can't change society from above. You can only change society from below. You can only do it face-to-face. You can do it with your neighbors, your family members, uh, your church. Uh, wherever you interact with people, when you convince them that your cannabis use does not pose a threat to them and clearly provides something healthy for you, whether that's medicine or less stress or whether helping out with your physical exercise, that's when you're changing things. Uh, that's why I'm transmitting from an underground bunker to start from below. Dominic Corva from the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy. Let's bring you back again. I could talk to you for an hour. Thank you again for being on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. Hempy Trails you, my bro. I'll be seeing you soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Viv. Take care. Now I'm going to get to a weekly feature of Hemp Present on CannabisRadio.com. That's the quote of the week, and here it is. No government fights fascism to destroy it. When the bourgeoisie see that power is slipping out of its hands, it brings up fascism to hold on to their privileges. That is Spanish anarchist Buenaventura Deruti. 
That concludes this installment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brasco, my man in the control room, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more reefer repartee and cannabis confabulation with some special hemp sapien on a journey to justice. Because when it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. Until then, my friends, stay strong, stand tall, and take it easy. And don't forget to email me at hempresent at gmail.com. They present theme song, Take Back the Plants, performed by Sticker Bush and sung by a much younger version of myself. Turn up the music, maestro. I'm out. Take back the plants. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.